Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the Cult Pop Show podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch, get up to two extra exclusive podcasts a month, give us something to talk about in the post credit scene at the end of each episode, or join us for our monthly movie club Zoom call where we discuss a film together, then please consider joining the cult and donating at www.patreon.com slash Um, all right, what's a good way to start this podcast? Can you can you um, say the the premise of the podcast like how a George Clooney type would outline the premise of a heist um, in an in a heist movie? Right. Okay. Um, listen here, gang. Mm. Um, here's the the heist. Um, <laughs> this sounds like the start to Fergalicious. <laughs> really? Listen up, y'all, because this is it. The beat that I'm dropping is delicious. Yeah. <laughs> That's where my mind went, unfortunately. Uh, um, well, I should... guess we just, like, this will probably just be the opening. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I liked it. Uh, I was I was planning to be like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. But yeah, I was I trying think... to think of a sentence which would allow you to say that. Mm. This is why we're nearly good podcasters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, we understand the mechanisms. We understand the, the structure. Yeah. We just aren't creative enough to get there ourselves. We're, we're not quite at yes and. We're quite good at yes, give me a second. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> uh, this is the Cult Popsha Podcast. Hello. On the Cult Popsha Podcast. Um <laughs> There, this is this show specifically. Well, this episode specifically of this show uh, is about Ocean's Eleven, the franchise, uh, because mm. this is film franchise Fortnite's a show where we watch and discuss a random, often randomly chosen, often uh, chosen by our Patreons, uh, like this one was, um, the film franchise. And this Fortnite, we are watching the Ocean's franchise, which is Ocean's Eleven, the original film in 1960, uh, Ocean's Eleven, the remake, 2001, Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13, and then the spin-off, Ocean's 8. Mm-hmm. And my name is AJ. And I'm Richard. That was our cold open. <laughs> and that was, the, that was our theme song. Mm. Nice. Uh, yeah, so um, I guess we'll just kick it off and talk about Ocean's Eleven in 1960. Um, this is a film which a lot of people seem to have think they caught us out by pointing out. <laughs> said, oh, you're covering Ocean's. Don't forget, you're going to have to cover the original one. And it's like, yeah, like, <laughs> when have we ever not done that, you know? We live um, and breathe this shit, man. You can't catch us out. I'd I'd seen this movie before, um, and uh, AJ, mm. what is it about? Um, it is about eleven uh, World War Two vets who decide to simultaneously rob five casinos, 
uh, on New Year's Eve when the most money will be in the vault. Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, the significant thing about this film, I guess, is that it stars the Rat Pack, um, right. which is like a or the five of of the the kind of official unofficial Rat Pack. Um, stars Frank Sinatra as Danny Ocean. Uh, you got D Martin, Joey Bishop, Peter Lawford, and Sammy Davis Jr. as well. Um, and then many more to to fill in the the eleven. Um, yeah, they successfully pull off the heist spoilers um and then while laying low to um you know so they can they can spend their money they um they set aside a little bit of money for the widow of one of the people who died uh, while pulling off the heist and hide the rest of the money in his coffin um planning to dig it up later on and then um the coffin is cremated mm. leaving them with very, very little money. Ten thousand dollars left to split eleven ways. It's um, yeah, it's it's quite a dark ending, um, to to the film, which I was not expecting. Um, but also what you just described and what we both just described actually is the last hour and a half of a two and a half hour movie because the first uh, well, the the last hour of a two hour movie, I would say, is fair. Is it not two and a half hours? I thought it was. No, it's like it's it's two hours and seven minutes. Right. Well, anyway, the first hour or so of this movie, uh, I couldn't tell you what it was about. It's it's setting up characters. I could gather as much as they were introducing the Eleven, but there's yeah. all the stuff going on, and I was like, what are they talking about? Where is the heist? Where is the <laughs> heist? Where's the money, yeah. Lebowski? <laughs> Very good. Um, the, I, th- I think the thing about uh, what we've experienced with like a lot of films of this era is that like they start off really slow, and there's a lot of like character introduction stuff that's just like, what, like, why do we need to see all this? Um, because it's just, it's a lot slower. But um, yeah, when the heist actually start, they start playing the heist, which is an hour into the film. Um, I, I you know, I love it from from then on, kind of thing. Um, what did you what did you think of the film? I thought it was pretty boring. Uh, uh, okay, let's let's um here actually let's let, there's an elephant in the room. Um, so AJ famously does has a let's say has a tough time understanding heist movies. Uh, this kind of all started or or, or um, came to the surface when you and I went to go see Logan Lucky together, which was actually directed by Steven Soderbergh, who directed the Ocean the the George Clooney Ocean's trilogy. We'll be talking about in a second. Um, and it was like, oh, cool, he's like returning to heist movies. You were super excited for it. I was super excited for it. Uh, we went to go see it together, and we walked out, and I thought it was great. And you were so upset with yourself um, because because you didn't like it. You and you, it was and while talking to you about it on the way home, I was trying to like rib you a little bit about like oh you know like couldn't follow it, eh? And you were genuinely upset that like you there's a, there's something fundamentally lacking inside of you mm. that uh, prevents you from following these kind of films uh, like beat for beat. Um, and yeah, you just didn't want to talk about it. Now it's it's. It's podcast time, so it's creating <laughs> content. Um, so you, I feel like you, you know, you'll be fine talking about it because, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's going to be a short podcast. Well, look, I th- it's worth also worth noting I hadn't really seen the Oceans movies before Logan Lucky either. So, with I don't didn't realize this, but Logan Lucky might have been the first 
genuine heist like movie. Like proper I'd heist movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so first of all, when now when people talk to me about Logan Lucky, I tell them I don't. I didn't really like it, but I'm wrong, and I can accept that. Right. So what? What? This this is this has evolved into a joke because it got mentioned on the podcast at some point that I don't understand heist movies, and then whenever there's even a vague reference to a heist in a movie, the, you'll make a joke about how like, oh AJ, <laughs> you must have been down for the count after this. <laughs> you know, like Fast Five was an example that comes to mind. Yeah, um, Ant Man, Ant Man, and it and it this became so established that like. It's one of the rare inside jokes in this podcast that was actually like really acknowledged by like at the fan base. Who also yeah, and, and, and about it, it seems to be one of the reasons that the Oceans franchise was suggested. Mm, yeah. So for, I haven't seen Logan Lucky again since we last saw it, but from yeah, memory, now that you're a heist movie expert, having mm, watched five Oceans films, yeah. From memory, the main issue that I had with it is that. Um, because I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not dumb when it comes to like story structure, right? Like, I, I, when I watch a movie, I'm reading the story and I'm, I'm, I notice all the subtextual tropes and things that maybe your average film goer maybe won't see, right? I'm, I'm right. a film tutor, so smarter than the average film goer. I would, I would say I'm not smarter than the average person, but I'm maybe more attuned than the average film goer. And I right. think this is somewhat to my detriment because Logan Lucky withholds information from you that uh is what the good guys use to win. Mm-hmm. And I think that is bad or i did at the time right because and so now having watched a few heist movies because because i remember having that discussion you were like you know it's revealed at the end that it's like oh he'd actually planned for this all along but we never saw him plan for what we saw it's, go wrong it's not that he planned it it's that that kind of twist should should be a villain's twist not a hero's twist right like okay. that's it, really interesting it should be it should be that <laughs> you watch the hero the hero's entire struggle and see them through their wits um get get out of these situations where a heist i think and i think you'll probably agree bad heist movies um nothing can really go wrong because for for every um negative story beat negative towards the main character um bad heist movies can very easily just place but we didn't show you that he did this you know it's essentially kids playing games and and you know playing right oh i've got um i've got lava proof shoes on it's exactly that i shoot you you're like oh well i'm actually invincible so that didn't um kill me so nuts to you you know like that's what it starts to feel like um and i think i maybe have seen that parodied in something maybe like south park or something where it's like it like highlighted that and i felt at least in the time when i watched it logan lucky needed to show the characters doing more because by not showing it it was like it just felt like a deus ex machina to be like oh well channing tatum secretly could do all this the whole time right yeah we're spending an awful lot of time talking about a film we're not covering (laughs) on this podcast but it is you're talking about um heist movie tropes as a whole and and that's interesting it'll be interesting to see 
Um, because that, yeah, that is a, tro- a trope of heist movies. I think that it's like um, that the the hero, the plan wasn't told to you fully. And for me, it's like fuck yeah, like at the end of it, love it. You know, where are the um, stakes though? If you uh, how can you how can you get invested in a movie that you know something's going to be pulled out of a hat in the last act where they're all okay? I don't know. Like, how do you get invested in any movie? Um, with a lot of um, foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what? So, you, as well as this kind of um, your issue with the the structure of heist movies, um, you, while while watching these films, you did um, talk to me a little bit, like while you were watching them, a little bit about how like you found it hard. You you did find it hard to follow. Like, why are they going here? Why are they doing this? Mm. And so, but I find that hard to follow in any movie. Like that's yeah, not really. But so I want to specifically with heist movies. Um, for the meme, I do want to talk about like each rank each film on the AJ heist film understanding scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, from one to ten, one is I guess um Logan Lucky, and ten would be Ant Man, which I, as far as I'm aware, you understood perfectly. I don't really remember the specifics, but I well, let's just say you did. Yeah. Um, where would Ocean's Eleven 1960 sit on that scale? Um, probably. Uh, so it's one to ten. Mm-hmm. I'd say maybe a four, because but again. It's an old movie that's difficult to pay attention yeah. to. And that's more the reason why. I understood when they turned the lights off in all the casinos and took the money out. Like, I get- <laughs> You're like, oh, that, that's why it's dark now. <laughs> why is it dark? <laughs> Where have the lights gone? Um, but as I say, the, that opening hour, which is too long to... to- be what it is yeah. um i was just like jesus christ what what is this movie like i thought this was gonna be much simpler than it than it ended up being um i just to to get the jump i um i did read the wikipedia synopses for all five films um and uh there is i didn't click that the money burns in the coffin because the guy gets cremated until I read the... Really? Yeah, so I just saw it end really depressingly, and I was like, why is it ending depressingly? But again... <laughs> oh my God. See, now that that is like, I would bump that down to a two. <laughs> but but again, that also has nothing to do with the heist tropes. It's just an yeah. old movie I didn't follow very well. And I didn't follow this, this film in the same way I didn't really follow Thunderball, the James Bond movie, or any right. of the early James Bond movies. Yeah, you know? okay, okay. Um, it, yeah, it is kind of reminiscent of those. But I would say... Um, like for me, the ending of them all because they're all at the funeral, the the, the yep. remaining ten of them, and there's a moment where they they talk. They're like, "What's that noise?" And it's like it's the the um, incinerator cremating the body, and then one by one, they all look at the person next to them um, as the guy on the end is like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> realizes they shouldn't have hid the money in the coffin, and then it ends with them all walking down i think it's the shot i I think i put on um on our instagram um and to me like that's such an iconic ending to the film it's It's a good ending yeah now that i understand it it's a good ending i knew Uh, i could read that it was a tragedy but i didn't understand why i think i thought they'd been caught by the by the um the constable so that they were all they were all going to jail i think is what i right yeah um 
it's fun, the funny thing as well is that, that because obviously these guys are like huge, huge in Vegas. Um, and so a lot of the scenes for this, like taking place at night, were actually shot the next morning because they all had these shows in Vegas the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're walking away from a marquee that has like all of the actors' names on it. Oh, nice. Um, which is a nice little, nice little detail. Um, what, so what did you think this film has on Rotten Tomatoes? Um, oh, old movies like this are hard. I would say it's probably pretty high, right? It'd be like 77. Uh, it's actually 48. 48? Holy crap. Yeah. Um, it, it had Hell yeah, pretty it's boring. <laughs> mixed reviews at the time. Um, it's got 81% audience score, which I think is probably more accurate. The, but there's uh, reading um, reviews from the time is super interesting. Bosley uh, Crowther of the New York Times dislike the film because there's no built-in implication that the boys have done something wrong. There's just an ironic, unexpected, and decidedly ghoulish twist whereby they're deprived of their pickings and what seems they're just desserts. Um, interesting. Which is interesting because it's like, he's what, like people at the time are watching the film being like, well, they did nothing wrong. Why don't they get the money? But it's like they stole a lot of money from casinos in Vegas. Like- that's a crime. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like that. That's why the film works because it's like this is the justice. Yeah, man, that's really interesting. That it, because you don't really think about that with heist movies anymore. Like you, the very very rarely will mo- movies that are either heist or like crime based um, put much effort into being like yeah they're breaking the law but they're cool. <laughs> Where it's like yeah. like with with the the Soderbergh Oceans movies, it's like hell yeah. We're stealing yeah. from a casino, you know, and it's like yeah. sort of attractive because it's larger than life and it's um, these very charismatic actors. But it, yeah, yeah. The, I can and, and it does go out of its way a little bit to explain like, this is why we're hitting this casino specifically oh, yeah. because there's a problem with this guy and it's like, you know, we're just getting even. Um, but yeah, all the reviews are like, it's um, another one says like, it's uh, nothing more than a sick joke in Technicolor. It's, compl- it's a completely amoral tale told for laughs. This and is it's such like, an old timey review of this kind of film. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> but I, I think as well that like um, the thing that first review said about uh, it, it's like because it's it's the Rat Pack. It's like yeah, they're literally the coolest people on the planet at the time, and yeah. you know you go to one of their films because you're like, fuck yeah, these guys are the, the, the man. Um, they are, are collectively the, the man. Oceans, oceans one <laughs> for we <laughs> for we are many. <laughs> 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 um yeah to see them lose it's kind of like uh yeah a little bit one of the more kind of in some ways problematic films we've covered on the podcast because there is a scene where they don blackface and i did not understand why <laughs> uh it's essentially so they can all blend in as like garbage men oh my god that's even worse because sammy davis jr who, who's a black member of the rat pack he was um he was the garbage man. There's a line in the film where, when everyone else is putting shoe polish on their face, and he goes, "I knew this this color would come in handy one day," um, and that was apparently like that line like followed him for the rest of his life. Wow! But this was during the filming of this film uh, when they all like went to Vegas to, to film it. Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. had to was forced to stay at a coloreds only hotel because it was still segregated, and it was um, Sinatra who's you know royalty he's mentioned in oceans 13 as being like you know i have pull in vegas because i shook sinatra's hand Mm. um but so he went and confronted the the owners of the hotel and won and so um that kind of broke down the the color barrier in in vegas wow sinatra strikes again Mm. also so 
just a little bit more about the ending of the film. If you think the ending is dark, apparently the, the, the original script had them all um, putting their winnings into a chartered plane fly, flown by one of the 11 because they're all, you know, World War II vets so know how to fly and stuff. Um, and then the plane was going to crash and they're all going to die. Yeah, I could see that. I Well, I could see that because when, when did, like, um, Buddy Holly die? Uh... Was that around this time? Uh, yeah, it was a year earlier. Yeah, so I could. I wonder if uh, that's either why it was changed or where the idea came from. You know? Uh, yeah, it was. It was. It was ditched because they they said it was too dark. But like, I, I yeah, I, I think the ending of the film is fantastic. It's it's I, yeah, I like it's it. great dramatic irony. Yeah. Now that I understand it, I like it. Yeah. Maybe that'll be this whole podcast, Richard. Is that I'll go from the attitude I currently have about these films. To a more hopefully positive hopefully. outlook because of you explaining them. <laughs> um, and we'll move on to the next one. But another fun thing about this is that if you hadn't, um, if you didn't realize, I didn't realize this until I watched it for the first time ten years ago. Um, that the song "Ain't That a Kick in the Head," like the very famous jazz standard, um, is was written for this movie. It, it's it's mm. a, it's "Ain't That a Kick in the Head" from Ocean's Eleven. And ain't that a kick in the head? Very, very good segue there. Um, is it? So 41 years later, um, we had Ocean's Eleven directed. Eleven now spelt out. That's actually a fun little difference between uh, the original is the numeral Eleven and the remake is Eleven the Word. Um, so this was directed by Steven Soderbergh. Um, and how many of the Eleven can you say, can you name that it stars? This is such a great question because I did not know any more than maybe three of the Eleven off the top of my head. And going into this, it was like, Casey Affleck is one of the 11? <laughs> I didn't even think Casey Affleck was famous in 2001. So mm. it was very interesting. Um, okay, actors I can name from the 11. Let's go. George yep. Clooney, Brad yep. Pitt, Matt Damon, Casey Affleck, Don Cheadle, Elliot Gould, Carl Reiner. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I might be at the end of the characters, characters that I actually remember the uh, you got bernie mac as well bernie mac it's quite a big um, one I, I remember the rest of the faces but i don't remember the yeah i don't know uh, so you got scott khan um yeah. son of james khan yep. from um the godfather um shaba quinn who's the amazing yen and eddie jemison the guy's um, livingston right yeah, that's right. And then also, uh, round out the cast, you have Andy Garcia as Terry Benedict, who's the villain of the film, and Julia Roberts as Tess Ocean, uh, who is um, Danny's ex-wife and now dating Terry Benedict. Mm. Um, so, what is this film about? Um, it's about a recently released um, convict, Danny Ocean, um, decides within uh, 24 hours of his parole to rob three big casinos in Las Vegas. Um, and so he puts together a team of 10, meaning, are we going to discuss this? That it's actually Ocean's <laughs> 10 because he's the 11th. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so to, they they decide they're going to pull it off. And so they each get a different professional. It starts a lot faster <laughs> than the yeah. original. Um, and... Uh, maybe uh, maybe a quarter of the way in, um, you find out that one of the reasons why Danny Ocean wants to rob this casino is because um, Terry Benedict, Terrence Benedict, who's um, Andy Garcia's villain character, um, he is currently dating Tess, 
uh, Danny Ocean's ex and he wants to win her back. And so the rest of the gang have made very uncomfortable by this and it becomes this kind of um, tension thing where where they're like, are you doing this to make money or are you doing this to to get revenge on the person who's dating your uh, girlfriend or your old girlfriend? Um, there's several confrontations between Danny and Tess and um, Terrence and it ends with the heist uh, going off successfully though not what you think like it's 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 there's like sort of a a double twist a bait and switch a bait and switch um and then the what i thought was my my favorite part of the film was um while on security camera uh danny ocean who's who's exonerated from the the heist because he intentionally puts himself um yeah. getting beaten gives himself up, an alibi gives himself an alibi yeah. getting beaten up by one of um terence's supposed goons um he gets terence to admit on security cam with tess watching that if he can get all the money back he'll give up tess um based on the promise that that Danny will give him the money back. And when he says, yep, I would trade the money for, I would trade Tess for the money. Um, Danny then goes, okay, well, I know a guy in, in who I met in jail. And it's this real like lofty alibi, but it does, it does. Uh, I thought when I was watching, I was like, this is great because this is a heist, you know? Yeah. Like this is a heist of the mind. <laughs> this is a heist <laughs> of emotions and that um, he gets, uh, Terence to admit that he doesn't actually love Tess that much um, yeah. and another nice touch I thought was that Danny actually does go back to jail for breaking parole for a few months before getting out mm. and um, reuniting with, with Tess which I thought was nice because it also shows that his intentions are purely I love you and I want you back and I think that makes mm. him quite a strong character and quite a strong hero um, yeah and yeah that's what it's about <laughs> so and uh what do you think is a ron tomatoes um 93 uh, 82 82 respectable what did you think of the film i liked this film richard i did i that that scene i just talked about was my favorite scene um i thought the bait and switch was maybe i liked it better because it felt like uh you knew what was happening as it was happening and it wasn't mm. it was like it was like a twist but it but you see it coming and so it, it yeah. makes it feel a little bit more um uh accessible to the audience i think this yeah. is a modern director being like let's make the heist movie to end all heist movies and i i would argue it is that i would say it is yeah. the you know the, it's, it's the quintessential heist movie yeah. It's yeah, I, I I I love this movie. Yeah, and I would say I it's a perfect movie. Sure, and like it's oh god, it's 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 so cool. It's so fun. The cast is amazing. Mm. Um, it, it's it's just it's it's a lot of fun. Who's your favorite of the eleven? <sighs> I don't know. They, they they all shine in different ways in each film as well. Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, Carl Reiner is pretty fantastic. He's great. Um, and especially in the third one, though, that's when he really shines. I really like Elliot Gould's uh, Ruben, who's the like mm. sleazy uh, casino owner. I just thought he was really yeah, he's, funny. He's the financier of yeah, it yeah, as yeah. well. Um, I really liked him. He was he was one of my favorite actors to watch, just because he's he's real chewing the scenery in the way that none of the actors are really going for. Like mm. like George Clooney's playing like ultra cool George Clooney. 
and Brad Pitt's Brad playing, playing Altricol Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt Damon's a bit varied in his in his acting in this film. Yeah, because he's like he's the youngster who's yeah, trying yeah. to prove himself. Um, but Alia Gold is just like this this slimy casino exec who's like, who's gonna fund this? So what are you doing? And it's yeah. I don't know. I like I really enjoyed the character. And uh, Don Cheadle's uh, quite fun as well, just doing a horrible, horrible uh, Cockney accent. A famously bad Cockney accent, Yeah, which right? he's admitted is terrible. And apparently he tried to he tried to drop for the sequels, um, but they refused. <laughs> <laughs> Does this not strike against your, your acclaimed perfection that it's got a real bad um, well, accent? But, but there's stuff like that that it's like... Um, and also the fact that like the amazing Yen speaks only in Chinese with no subtitles, but yeah. everyone just understands them. Yeah, and it's yeah. like it's stuff like that that it's like it's just a cartoon. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. But it's um, the, uh, Don Cheadle actually isn't credited in this movie. Um, what? Because he wanted to be billed above the title uh, alongside Clooney, Damon, and Pitt, um, and they said no. And he said, "Well, they don't want to be credited at all." <laughs> That's very strange. Yeah. Um, but then he's he's above the title build in uh, 12 and 13. I mean, it should be all 11, to be honest. It should be all mm. 11 above the title and then under the title with Andy Garcia and Julia Roberts. Hmm. That's what it should be. Well, that's that's another fun thing as well. That Did you notice in the credits that it says, and introducing Julia Roberts as Tess? No, I didn't. At the end of it, because you know, like often that's that's the kind of thing you'll do when it's a brand new actor, um, which was a little joke because this was um, should just come off the back of Erin Brockovich was the highest paid star in the world, highest paid actress in the world, uh, making twenty million dollars per picture, and uh, the the script was sent to her um, with a twenty dollar bill attached uh, with a note from George Clooney that said, "Hey, I hear you're getting twenty a picture now." <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Yeah, um, and uh, she's there's another little credits joke uh, in the second one as well, um, which we'll get to when we get to that. Little credits joke. <laughs> there's good, an entire but- third act based around that joke. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, this movie, uh, it's, it's Steven Soderbergh describes it as he wanted uh, an opportunity to give audiences pleasure from beginning to end, and he wanted it to be a movie you just surrender to without embarrassment and without regret. And I think he achieved that. I think this this film is so unabashedly fun, and even things like you mentioned the slight against it of like Don Cheadle's accent and, and things like that. It's like yeah, that that adds to the to the fun. I and see. there's a famous scene in the second one that I think does the same thing, and <laughs> everyone else says ruins the film. Including me. Um, well, I don't know if it ruins the film, but yeah. we'll get to that. Uh, yeah. What, what is, where does this sit on the AJ heist understanding scale? Uh, maybe like a nine, an eight or a nine. It's at right, the point where cool. it's like anything I don't understand is like the jargon of the gadgets they use to turn the power, right. which is dumb. It's a dumb example because I actually understood that entirely yeah but that's what i mean is it's like there are there are nouns i'm not fully registering but i i understand what it's about and they they really walk you through the bait and switch because they're like this is the best part of the film so you need to understand this yeah Um, yeah, yeah. so because what is it let's let's talk about it it's it's um okay yeah sure so so essentially the whole thing is like 
there, there's this one vault that filled that uh, feeds all of the casinos that's under Las Vegas. So, and instead of New Year's Eve, it's a fight night, and by because yeah, La- that, that's when there will be the most money in there because they have to have enough money yeah. in the vault to cash out every single chip in circulation. Yes, and so there's all these things about like how to get into the vault and everything like that, and so, um. Uh, midway through the film they build a replica of the vault to practice they eventually get into the vault they're packing up they see them they're packing up the money um and then they call andy garcia and tell him like hey we're stealing your money um and what they say what you can do is either um we're gonna well they say we'll take all of it um and if you call the cops we'll burn it all or um we will leave half and you let us take the other half kind of thing. So it's like, you're either going to lose $80 million privately or $160 million publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he ends up like going down into the vault and then realizing that the heist has actually already happened. And the live so-called live feed he was watching was their replica of the vault. Yeah. And that when he gets down there, the bags of cash that are remaining are actually like flyers for escorts. Well, that's that's the stuff that escapes in the van. Yeah. Because the the real money was taken out of the vault by the SWAT team who ended up being yes. Ocean's Eleven dressed up as SWAT members because they intercepted his call to the police um, through yeah. Livingston, the very nervous um, dude who can who's their, their tech guy. Their, their hacker, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there is the, the funny thing, though, that um, there's actually no way for them to have gotten the flies into the vault. Oh wow! Could they not have like put- it's act- it's like an admitted flaw of the film that it's like, yeah, we just we hoped you wouldn't notice, but there's like there's no way for them to have gotten it in there. Wait, aren't the flyers in the van though? Um, they're in both. Right, I think because yeah, because because there's half left in the in the vault, half in the van, and all the money's taken out. Um, but there's no way to have gotten well, them in there. A lot of strikes against the supposed perfect movie, Richard. It's the same as Back to the Future, though. <laughs> We <laughs> Back to the Future has it as well. Um, but also, and, and the other thing as well, that they lift up these bags, and those bags would be so fucking heavy, like yeah. filled with that much cash. Yeah, yeah. Have you got anything else you want to say about Ocean's Eleven? Not really. I think um, it's I I I rated it. I think I rated it like three and a half stars, only because like it is fun, and maybe I I think I actually took it down from four to three and a half just because I realized I wasn't still thinking about it, and it's like, I I took it down from five to four and a half because I was like, oh, AJ's gonna drag me down, <laughs> and well maybe you're dragging me up, um, but I think I think it's 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 good. It's a good movie that I enjoyed and I can see why it has the place in pop culture that it has. Um, but I'm, I don't know. I wasn't especially blown away by it, which is what I usually save for those upper half star increments. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. All right. Um, okay. Well, moving on to oceans 12, mm. as uh, so this came out, what, three years later in 2004, also directed by Steven Soderbergh. Um, and what is this one about? So Terence Benedict has caught the Ocean's Eleven. He knows where they all are, and he says, give me back my money, but they don't have it anymore because he wants interest as well. So they're half short. So they go to try do a heist in uh, Amsterdam, um, but they are beaten to the heist by 
um, the Night Fox, who's a famous Francois Toulouse. Yeah, he's a, he's a famous like sort of thief uh, in the area. Mm. Um, so they decide they they meet up with him, and he tells them you have to steal a Fabergé egg from this museum. If you do that, I'll I will pay um, Terence Benedict your entire debt yeah and it's kind of because um Toulouse is the one who told benedict where they are breaking the honor among thieves yeah code um and uh catherine zeta jones is in this film who is an ex-lover of brad pitt's character who is now a um well she always was a detective so she's trailing them while also flirting with um the brad pitt <laughs> um, rusty and Rusty, yeah, and um, uh, I'm just trying to think of of um, what happens in the end. They 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 get away with it. Uh, Matt Damon's mum turns up, um, and posing as an FBI agent and bails them out. They mm-hmm. steal the egg, and the reason that um, the Night Fox is so pissed is because his mentor, who's a um, famously never caught criminal. Uh, named the Lamarck. Lamarck. Um, he once said that Danny Ocean is a better thief than he, and he didn't like that. So he, that's why he's betrayed them. Um, and so in the end, they get him to pay the money back to Benedict, and then, um, Matt, uh, Ben Brad Pitt, um, takes Catherine Zeta Jones to meet her long lost father, who ends up being Lamarck, the the man she'd been trying to catch for years um and, and had been become the stuff of legend um yeah that's that's now beats yeah do you want to talk about the, the first, scene first, of first i want to talk about i was thinking about this watching it i was like you know how people like the five hollywood chrises yeah they don't all share the name but the original five hollywood chrises were like matt damon ben affleck um, um and um uh, Brad Pitt and like like the, yeah. this movie um like Matt Dillon and um uh, Ben Affleck could have been in the Oceans movies and I'd have been yeah. like yeah that's right <laughs> yeah it's like they're like the they're the the 2004 equivalent of the Rat Pack yeah right there you go um well maybe the, I guess that explains that uh <laughs> but I just well not I not officially I, I'm I'm yes anding you oh right right okay I thought you were saying AJ everybody knows this. You don't right, understand no. heist movies. You dense <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> um, yeah, so there is a the scene in this. There's a scene in this which I would put up against something like the um, gymnastic scene from The Lost World and um, similar movie ruining scenes though i do yeah. i do see whereas to- i i would put it up against like um al pacino by the lake at the end of godfather 2 <laughs> i do want to say though i actually overall thought oceans 12 was very messy and not not very good um yeah. we'll get to that in a sec but explain okay the, so the scene, the scene is basically they get they get made and that they, they get put in prison and the only ones not in prison is like don Cheadle, matt damon and one of the other guys <clears throat> I think one of the brothers. I think it's Scott yeah. Kahn. 
Um, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And Matt Damon's idea is to get Tess Ocean involved and get her to sneak into the museum. Making her the Ocean's 12th as well. Yep, that's true. Um, and get her to sneak into the museum and steal the egg under the guise of Julia Roberts. They Now, why is that significant? Because she's played by Julia Roberts. And so there's yeah. a scene earlier in the film where Matt Damon goes, have you ever thought about how Tess kind of looks like and Brad Pitt's like, no, 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 we're not talking about this. I'm not allowed to talk about this. And it's such a, like, I knew this was in the movie, like, before yeah. I'd seen it. But, like, watching that for the first time, it must have been so tantalizing to, because to, I play, play it up that yeah. Tess looks like someone. And it must be so yeah. tantalizing to be like, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And then when they reveal it's Julia Roberts, the you just hear a pin drop, man. It is so, <laughs> it is so stupid, Richard. It is so. I, I, I fucking love it. It is I, so I, bad. It is so unashamed and stupid and bad and like infuriatingly movie ruining in my opinion like yeah so for me it's like i find it so funny um and like it's the it's like we said about the first film is that like you've got don Cheadle's accent you've got this this language barrier that's you know non-existent um and it's like yeah this is the kind of movie to do that in. and she she runs into bruce willis um playing himself their performance of his career <laughs> yeah who actually i uh, had to pull out of playing danny ocean in the first one by the way wow. um uh which would have been a much worse movie i imagine um <laughs> but yeah uh i i just love that that whole sequence and there's like it cuts to a new scene and matt damon's character is explaining to bruce willis <laughs> like when he worked out the twist of um <laughs> the sixth sense and it's like Oh, like for me, it's 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 so within the world of this film, and it's mm. like I, I th- there's the, this kind of joke is as done in a lot of like movies and TV show, but this is like when it's the biggest plot point. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Normally, it's just a throwaway line. That of dialogue maybe, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the 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 plot is contingent on the fact that Julia Roberts as a character in this universe <laughs> yeah yeah so um the the world of so oceans 11 takes place in a world identical to ours with one more except there's one more person <laughs> so my problem with it is one i think i disagree that it's the type of movie that can do this because it's not a movie about hollywood it's not a movie about actors and it's not a movie about like um celebrity and so i didn't i came it came out of nowhere from like it's it's certainly more interesting than what i think i probably would have guessed it would be when they're saying that tess looks like someone like i was expecting it i again i'd seen it before but i could see myself having never seen this expecting it to be like she kind of looks like da da da's ex-wife and we can make her pretend that's her um so it's, it's i'll give it that it's certainly more interesting but like there's something about the fact that Matt Damon is not recognizable in this universe, but Julia Roberts is. That really, like, there's a cognitive well, I, well, dissonance. There. We don't know. We don't know for certain that Matt Damon exists in this universe. Well, we don't. But the Julia, like, that. This is what I'm saying: is that it, it? I think. I think this joke would work way better if it wasn't um, 
Bruce Willis playing himself, uh, Julia Roberts playing someone pretending to be Julia Roberts, and then literally Matt Damon, someone probably more famous than the two of them, if not just as. Um, Yeah, because this was around the time of the Bourne movies as well. Yeah, I think maybe that scene would be easier to swallow and it wouldn't be so... um, you know, preyed upon by critics if they'd used like Scott Kahn or the guy who plays Livingston instead of Matt Damon. <laughs> Scott Kahn, like, you look like a young James Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> that, maybe that could be a joke. Maybe when they're like, you look like Julia Roberts, she'd be like, well, you look like a young young James Kahn. Um, but I th- I think that's part of it for me. Is, is <laughs> and that- then they, they usher him through the hotel being like, everyone, it's young James Kahn <laughs> coming through. <laughs> um, I just, I think, I think that's a problem with it is that it needed to be played off against one of the less famous faces in the movie but because it's matt damon it's like you're telling me they're like oh my god it's julia roberts it's bruce willis but they're not so that's um matt damon's fame ruining another movie scene because in um saving private ryan when you're introduced (laughs) to four people who are supposed to be unidentifiable as anyone and then the fourth one is matt damon and it's like well obviously this is private ryan Guess we're putting them on the poster now with all the other floating heads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think I think it's not unreasonable for me to just plum think it's stupid as well. I think I, I'm, yeah, sh- I'm I, sure I, a like, lot of this is you know you saying I didn't like Logan Lucky, but I'm wrong. I'm I love the Julia Roberts scene in Ocean's Twelve, but I'm wrong. That's very big of you to admit that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's not the only thing I didn't like about the movie, though. Um. Yeah. I think. Uh, shall we do my scale from of understanding? Yes. Yes, please. And then we have to do the Ron Tomato score. Oh well. yes. Okay. So I would say this is maybe a five. Um. There was a lot of this movie I was not following. There's a scene early on where they go and meet with um, a character played by Robbie Coltrane. Um, and the the joke of the scene is that Brad Pitt and George Clooney know how to talk to him, but Matt Damon oh, doesn't. Great scene, great scene. I was like, what the fuck is anyone saying in this scene? So that, like, the, 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 I think in that scene, Matt Damon is the audience surrogate and he's thinking the same thing, but he's forced to say something at one point. But the things they're saying are so like specific. They're like like George Clooney says something about like if animals celebrated or if animals were more morally conscious, they would sell celebrate Halloween and Thanksgiving on the same day. Yeah. What is he talking about? Is it like code well, for something? Yeah, like that, that's the whole thing, is that the, the entire scene is spoken through code and they and matt damon before it because his whole thing is is like i want to be a bigger part of this and when he said i've just come off doing born can i like just have a real small role steven soderbergh was like no that completely betrays your character and gave him quite a big role but he yeah he's like i want to be part of things i think i'm ready to go to this meeting and they're like okay these are the rules do not do not look at him do not speak unless you're spoken to even then don't speak and all this stuff and then he's like put into a situation where he has to respond and he hasn't understood a word that's been said and so he just comes out with something and then they get and then it obviously pisses off uh robbie coltrane and they get out and they're like he's like what did i say like you called his niece a whore she's nine what is wrong with you that's such a like overdone joke isn't it like the the mistranslated thing but then also like i think i think part of the problem like if they were like 
if the things they were saying was like the last train stops at midnight like more classically riddle-esque things i would have got it but talking about animals celebrating thanksgiving and halloween i was like it's funny i was like what what is this did he make this up (laughs) on the spot and then when he asks matt damon to say something surely shouldn't the characters in the scene cover for him because they know he doesn't know what to say like Uh. is that not like that they just they treat it with such um they treat it like they're pranking him but like yeah well that's the thing like yeah they are but doesn't the whole like heist depend on this meeting going well i don't know mate you're trying to pick holes in it and <laughs> as soon as i say something legitimately like confusing in the movie it's like nah um so i didn't like um, that i yeah. thought as well that um that uh oh no my biggest problem with the movie is the 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 fact that it's about them having to pay back um uh benedict yeah it's it's interesting it's it's a very oh man how do we do a sequel to this film and it's like um what's a what's a reason because it's like okay at the end of the last movie they're all multi-millionaires and would be obviously laying low um and it's like yeah it's an interesting like okay how do we how do we get them all back together? And it's like, I, I think it's not a horrible idea. And it's a very like, we need to make a sequel look quick. Let's, let's just get it done. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and it's like, yeah, while it's not necessarily the most, and, and uh, you know, 13 probably has a better setup for us for what the sequel is. Um, I think, yeah, I, I like the idea that it's like, let's just, let's just reset the first film. And, and again, it's like any other kind of movie, I would be, you know, you'd be pissed off by this, but it's like, it's um yeah it's one of those movies where it's like yeah fuck it like it's such a good cast and like the whole the the reason that these that this franchise works is because the cast have such great chemistry um and because they're they're, like everyone in these films are like chemistry machines you know like um george Clooney, brad pitt matt damon you could put those guys uh, opposite anyone and and there's like this electric chemistry but then you put like two or three of them together and and sparks fly and so yeah i don't mind a little bit of like a uh you know um rubber pulling the rubber band of reality a little bit or like of what's acceptable it's not the rubber band of reality i just think it's incredibly um disappointing to see that that uh he just yeah can't uh, just after watching what they went through in the first yeah. film that it's like yep that immediately is undone yeah i don't like that and i don't like that in any film there are there are other yeah. examples of this film like 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 actually there's another example in this franchise which you'll know when i describe it now like when a sequel kills off a really important character from the first film oh, yeah, and treats yeah, yeah. it as a joke like it almost feels like that to me where it's like no 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 the whole point the whole point of the first film is that they get away with it to start the mm. second film with they didn't get away with it though and also i i personally i didn't believe that the characters would be as calm as they ended up being about being caught no one really mm. is like no we should it never fight feels this. like their lives are at stake kind of thing. yeah yeah they don't really feel that though they they like they seem mm. very accepting and resigned to it whereas i feel like i feel like the danny ocean from the first film would be conducting a scheme how to get out of it but instead mm. they're conducting a scheme of how to actually pay him back and i didn't like yeah, it. yeah yeah um and i thought that i i like the idea of having a b b story about 
them being chased because they're the famous Ocean's Eleven, but I Mm. don't think it should have made up the inciting incident of the film. I think, by and large, this should have been a separate heist or maybe yeah. one and, and going international makes sense as well because you yeah. know they're on the US's radar. Yeah. And I I th- I really think this is where the first kind of turd is thrown in the spaghetti sauce Richard to use a famous right. um idiom that that's like <laughs> I it under it undoes the magic of the first film. The first film's ending is all 13 or all, all 11 standing at um a water fountain and watching the the casino and then leaving silently and it's beautiful. Like it's mm. it, and they cuz they're good people as well and the the casino owner's a bad person and it's like justice was served here today. You know, they got away with it. And it's so important to the magic of the first film that, that starting the the second film with, whoop, they got caught, is, is so lame. It'd be like if they made a sequel to, like, Casablanca or something and was like, let's get Rick and Ilsa back together. Um, we're doing mm. Casablanca for <laughs> for Movie Club this month, by the way. For Movie Club yesterday. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, that's... I th- I felt it was fundamentally damaging to the plot of the film, personally, well, and, and the franchise, to be honest. Mm, interesting. Um, one of the uh, oh, what do you think is a Rotten Tomatoes? I looked it up. Sorry, I had to for I had to see I had to see who played the Night Fox, and then I looked at all his other credits and was like, I've never seen him in anything else. But yeah, I recognize him for some reason. Uh, it's yeah, got like 54, 55? 55, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, there's one other thing uh, that I know you have thoughts about. Mm. Um, Topher Grace is in uh, Ocean's Eleven and Twelve, isn't he? And he plays Topher Grace. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't understand why. Why? W- 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 to- how famous was Topher Grace at this point in his career? Oh, uh, was that seventy shows? Probably right. So, of his so career. TV famous, and yeah. Well, he um he had to. He's not in the third one because it conflicted with Spider Man Three. Right. So that's if that it is your time frame. It is so weird that they felt Topher Grace should play himself because it's not relevant it's not that well they- in, in the first film there's a scene where um yeah uh, uh, rusty is teaching po- uh, a bunch of tv stars how to play poker and they're all playing themselves Topher grace is just like the one we most immediately recognize right well the only because one all, all of them are from like um dawson's, know, fucking creek. <laughs> dawson's creek and, and shit like that yeah <laughs> Um, I just don't understand what and why on earth he had to be playing himself. You know what I mean? Like, like mm. I, you can tell me, that, oh, they're all TV stars in that first scene, but it's like, but, but why? What? Like, why they could all be playing different characters and be TV stars? I don't understand why Topher Grace is playing Topher Grace outside of it just being some kind of weird esoteric in joke from Steven Soderbergh, like. Mm. it's it's of all the like who was it recently that we talked about i think it might have been on a um film franchise follow-ups episode on patreon and who's the least famous person to have ever played themselves in a a (laughs) fictional form i think we landed on um the guy who plays magnitude from community (laughs) played himself on dr ken Um, (laughs) that's right yeah (laughs) but this is this is that for me this is like it's not that there it isn't a scene about them going to a tv show it isn't a scene about them um rubbing shoulders with hollywood 
bigwigs. It's a scene about Brad Pitt teaching a bunch of younger ruffians how to play poker. And he didn't need to be Topher Grace. Well, because there is like quite famous like underground poker circles that like Tobey Maguire and Leonardo DiCaprio are in. And obviously, I presume they couldn't get them. I had no idea about that. Oh, right. You know, uh, Molly's Game, the the movie, the book and the movie, is um, there's a character in it called Player X, uh, who is, and the movie is played by Michael Cera, but it's an amalgamation of Leonardo DiCaprio, Tobey Maguire, and like a few other people that like, play these like poker circles like you know off the books oh my god um, that's absolutely so it's like, it's, what this is a reference to then richard yeah yeah why are you um, telling and, me and, this now you could have told and, me this when i asked you about it as the <laughs> messenger this is yet another example of me not understanding something about a movie that happens to be a heist movie and you withhold the information <laughs> so that i can look like i just have n- absolutely zero grasp on the genre <laughs> Um, uh, there's there's a line in this movie God though where um, that's absolutely Gr- why. Sorry, okay. Topher Grace pops up again in this film and mentions to Rusty about how he's been having it rough, and he says he fo- he totally phoned it in in that movie with Dennis Quaid. Um, that movie it is a real movie. It's called In Good Company, and it came out the same year as Ocean's Twelve. And kind of the joke is that the trailer for that would have played before Ocean's Twelve in the cinema. <laughs> is is this, is this the movie where he plays his uh, boss's... No, no, Topher Grace is Dennis Quaid's boss, but he's dating Dennis Quaid's daughter? Um, I mean, In Good Company is what you would call that movie. Um, I it's think that- set around a middle-aged advertising executive whose company is bought out by a large international corporation, leaving him with a new boss who is nearly half his age. His life is further complicated when his boss takes a romantic interest in his daughter. How did you know that? <laughs> I understand everything but heist movies, dude. Um, <laughs> no, I thought I've, I've and always And Scarlett been- Johansson is the uh, daughter. And it was uh, written and directed by uh, Paul Weitz, the... Um, the White's brother who we are not friends with. <laughs> I've always been fascinated by the plot of that movie. And I've always, I've never seen it, but I've always wanted to. Maybe someone will suggest it. <laughs> it it fe- felt, at the time, it felt like it fit into movies like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and <laughs> Monster yeah, and Law. Well, Guess and, Who. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is like the, is the original one, which is like this intelligent um, piece on, on race relations. Right. And guess who is um, well? I also was like Bernie Mac and Ashton Kutcher. I also listed Monster and Law as another example, which I presume is not based on a much more intelligent original. <laughs> I love that. I love that the most impressive piece of knowledge that I've had on this whole episode is the plot of that movie. <laughs> um. All right. Anything else to say about Ocean's Twelve? No. Uh, I, I would say that I admit I can admit that this is like the worst one, and I can I can definitely see why other people think it is. I still love it, you know. Well, I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that brings us to the end of Steven Soderbergh's trilogy, uh, which with Ocean's Thirteen came out in 2008, um, 2007 actually. I think it did. I've got that wrong. Wow, the man that the king is slipping. <laughs> uh what is oceans 13 about okay so there's a casino and uh elliot's got elliot gold's character ruben 
um, is supposed to be co-founding this casino, but he ends up getting screwed over and bought out by a guy named Willie Bank, played by Al Pacino, yeah. which makes this our second franchise this year, um, which stars both Al Pacino and Andy Garcia, but one of them is only in the third film. Um, yeah. after the godfather but it's switched yeah. it's switched um it's also our second franchise which features both andy garcia and a uh all-female reboot um because andy garcia is the mayor in ghostbusters 2016 <laughs> that's great um <laughs> it also features um al pacino and a khan <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> um anyway so al pacino's the bad guy and um ruben elliot gold's character has like a heart attack based on how badly he's been betrayed um and so the rest of the gang decide to bankrupt the bank which is the name of the new casino um in order to get like revenge on yeah And so everyone's back along for the ride. You got Tess. Uh, you got Catherine Zeta Jones. No, they're not in it. Oh, oh, they're not. No. So why not? The twelfth is gone, and then seemingly replaced with another twelfth, and then a thirteenth is added. Yeah. The, is this like this the Battle is... of the Five Armies, where it's like, what are the Five actually, Armies? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what, if you finish the plot, and then I'll explain who the thirteen. Uh, what actually else do I need to say? They, they do it. They succeed. <laughs> uh yeah so they um yeah essentially um their plan is 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 twofold right so they they need to stop uh the bank from winning the five diamond award which is like you know the award for best um uh best hotel in vegas so they do that by like essentially torturing the reviewer uh while having carl oh. reiner's soul play um play the reviewer so all the time al pacino thinks that um he like treats saul really well meanwhile clooney uh pitt and the gang are torturing uh the actual reviewer um so that he'll give a bad review i did not know who that character was or what was going on with him getting tortured well there you go um but yeah they they like put bed bugs in his bed they um uh they you know cancel all of his reservations things like this um he, he is then uh they they pull a susan b anthony on him um which is uh, one of their little heists uh you know their little tricks um awarding him 11 million dollars as like you know um karmic, repayment for karmic justification yeah because yeah, they give him like a skin condition and and shit so he- yeah which is the, the bed bugs um and so uh yeah so that's part one part of the heist the other part is that um there's uh the the bank the bank the casino has to make 500 million in order to stay open otherwise he would have to give up control of it to the gambling board um and so essentially and and there's this big um ai in the bank that can tell if a win is legitimate or not um so they, they can't you know just rig all the games so essentially what they have to do is and there's there's a way they can shut it down for like three minutes and so what they have to do is they sneak in like all these different ways to rig every single game so that during this three minute period where the ai is down and willie bank himself is locked inside the room with the ai everybody wins everybody wins um every single hand and um essentially bankrupting the casino because they have to honor all of these uh, all of these bits um and the, and- way, the way they do that is they they 
create what feels like an earthquake beneath yeah. the um beneath the casino with a drill because that's how you turn on that's how you turn off the ai for the three minutes and 20 seconds yeah. or whatever um and there's also a subplot that i did not understand and you had to tell me what it meant because it is not even on the wikipedia synopsis which <laughs> is um oh, yes. the the C- casey affleck and his brother not ben affleck J- james khan's son um yeah. <laughs> have to uh go do the mexican dice making factory to rig the yeah. dice yeah and because aj was messaging me being like oh the, why are they in mexico and i was like i don't remember the film well enough but then watching it it's like very clearly explained why they're in mexico because they talk they show this this um compound they put into a solid um which allows you to like you know turn it after the fact um and then they say oh we, can we just swap out some some rigged dice and they say no like the dice is controlled all the way from manufacturing like right then we've got to go to the manufacturer and so they put him in as like a mole at the dice manufacturer and he creates this revolution Um, yeah that's the thing i think that's why i was confused is because the mexican storyline creates like a work a working man strike as well and i was like what is happening in this part of the movie (laughs) um and when it was being set up i was actually um very messily trying to enjoy um an uber eats meal of pork ribs that i'd ordered um and i got barbecue sauce all over my pants my pants are very light (laughs) And the next day I got up for work and usually I'll wear like the same pair of pants for a whole week. Right. Um, and I got up for work and I was like, probably shouldn't wear those pants. And then I wore them anyway and they were really messy and it just looks like I got shit on my pants. And then (laughs) today I woke up and I was like, probably shouldn't wear those pants again. And then I wore them again and was sitting at the bus stop, looking at the brown stains on my pants, thinking I shouldn't have worn these pants again. (laughs) And I'm someone very who can't cool. understand very basic movie plots. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so the the thing about the drill that you mentioned, uh, it's it's the drill that, that uh, bore the, the channel tunnel there, that, um, it, from the French side. Right. Um, and uh, the, the drill they had breaks down and they have to actually buy a drill. Um, which is going to cost a lot more money than they have. So they end up having to recruit Terry Benedict uh, to to finance the rest of, um, to finance the drill and get him in on the operation. And he says, well, I want you to steal the diamonds as well, the, the five diamonds awards. Um, and so now that's like another complication they have. Um, yeah. And so that kind of the, the 13 and the title, um, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you include uh, Roman, uh, who was Eddie Izzard's character, who was introduced in the last film, he's like the, the kind of tech genius. Right. Uh, if you include Roman and Terry Benedict, you get Ocean's 13. Or you could also swap out Ruben because he doesn't technically participate in the heist mm. uh, for Bobby Caldwell, who's Linus's dad, um, right. to make the same number. Yeah. Um, 
very very weird that they don't yeah. if i was writing these movies i would be like distinctly this is the 13 yeah. the, the, there's a scene where there's all of them yeah right is there like well, no, I would say, oh, I would, right. yeah, like I'm I, saying, I like you, release, you would write a scene where it's, you can, you, there's one shot where you can count every single person and that's your third. I end. would release character posters with a number next to, yeah, which yeah, yeah, I yeah. feel like happened for Ocean's 8, maybe. Uh, yes. That feels like something so, that yeah. happened. Um, even though Ocean's 8 is maybe even less um, distinct. Yeah, Ocean's, Ocean's, 8 is, uh, Ocean's 8 is a spoiler, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the title. Um, but uh, I also, I just realized now, I forgot to mention uh, the fun credits gag in Ocean's 12. Um, the, after the, the whole Julie Roberts scene, Julie Roberts is credited in Ocean's 12 as um, introducing Tess as Julia Roberts. Nice. Um pretty funny but um very fun uh but yeah julia roberts Catherine zeta jones didn't return for this film um i guess um you know conflicting schedules or whatever um but it's explained away at the start when they go oh that isn't tess and uh Catherine zeta jones coming <laughs> and uh george clooney says it's not their fight and that's the because this is more personal stakes and that it's someone screwed over one of the 11 man I find it real funny that you said Tess and Catherine Zeta-Jones when the the rules of the Ocean's Eleven universe, it could absolutely be <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones as a character you're referring to in the film. Yeah. Um, I think that Terence Benedict being the 13th is bad. Discuss. I Really? Uh, I think it's the best part of the film. <laughs> you discuss. Um, I think he's like Captain Barbosa from Pirates of the Caribbean where every subsequent inclusion uh, detracts from how good of a character he was in, as a villain in his original appearance. Uh, I, I just think Andy Garcia is so good in these movies though. He's not, not, not on the level of Barbosa, but... Um, yeah, like th- there's the moment in the in the second one where um he's like hunting down all of them one by one, and um uh, one of them is doing stand up comedy, and he gets off stage and Terry's waiting there for him, and he's like, oh well, I I appreciate you you letting me finish because he was totally bombing his set, and Andy's just like, you're a funny guy. <laughs> it's such a great delivery, and then at the end of Ocean's Thirteen as well, um. Uh, Danny donates uh, Terry's share to an orphanage. Um, and so it's like millions and millions of dollars um, because he kind of screwed over them in the end. And he's like, well, hey, you got your money, but I just I just took care of donating it to a charity for you. Um, and he's like, if you want it back, feel free to go down there. And then it cuts to Terry Benedict on Oprah explaining like why he felt so moved to to donate to these children and it's, oprah was pr- previously established in the film as being like a an emotional core for danny as a character <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's caught crying while watching it okay all right let me let me let me pedal back it's not that yeah. it's bad it's in it i just i wish he wasn't in 12 i think the as i said with 12 i think that movie and the franchise is somewhat unable to recover from the ending of 12 from the plot of 12 and so yeah by having like maybe if maybe if he wasn't in 12 and then he's in 13 again that would actually probably be more impactful okay um, yeah do you, do you know what because this is this is actually a, an interesting thing because this is how I, I obviously remember him being in 12 but i remember this is how i remember 13 happening is that you have the 12 you know who they all are and then there's a scene where they're like we need willie to um we need bank to 
get this game on his floor because we can easily rig it. Um, and they're like, well, how are we going to convince him to get it, a game he's only just seen on his floor tonight? And then they go, well, I, oh, I, I, I know a way. And then Andy Garcia walks in and he says, I want to buy this. And so Willie Banks like, no, fuck you. I'm buying it. It's going on my floor tonight. Um, and I remember that being as him appearing in the film for the first time. It's not. He, they already know that they've been working together. But if it had been they that point happened earlier and we you're like, oh, there's only 12. Who's going to be number 13? And then it's like, oh, shit, they're actually working, working with Terry this time. That would yeah. be a great reveal. I th- yeah, But I, I, still, think- I still just love the thematic idea that he becomes number 13. I get it. I get that. Um, I, part of me is like, nah, he should be gone to the dogs at the end of 11. You know, I think I think 11 right. is more powerful if Terrence Benedict's life is like ruined fundamentally from the actions of the main mm. characters. But you are making sequels, so it's not a bad idea. I just think it's having him be in there with the context of 12 behind it. Mm. It's like... That, why would you want to see this guy again? Well, like, I also ne- think it's like because because yeah, they they stole money from him, they they gave it back to him, and so it's like we're even, we want to make a deal with you, kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I dig it. I I think so. Uh, what do you think this is on Rotten Tomatoes? Seventy-two. Seventy percent. Um, and uh, yeah, like what what would you say you thought of it? I didn't actually really like this one that much. Right. Um, and uh, where would you put it on the AJ understanding scale? Okay, so where have they been so far? So the first one was like a four, um, yeah. with 10 being the most understanding. Um, the the remake was like a, uh, a nine. Uh, yeah. Then we went to five with Ocean's 12. I would say this is a six. Um, I, mm. I had some trouble with this film. <laughs> the same way that like an old person shits their pants richard i had tr- i'm having a little trouble <laughs> you got barbecue sauce yeah <laughs> um i felt like it starts i said to you i was like oceans 13 starts like i walked into the cinema 10 minutes late like it feels like it's it's just going and i'm like i mm. need to slow down yeah, like it's great baby it doesn't slow down no, you're straight no, into the no, action no no <laughs> yes one of those there are several times in this podcast where the way i describe a criticism you then reword into like snappy cool kind of like edgy <laughs> filmmaking it's like no god damn it um no i don't know i think i think it's not a not necessarily a slower but like a more clear like here is what the world is like now here is where everyone is at now here is what's going on because it starts and immediately i'm being told elliot gold made a deal with al pacino and he's he's not honoring that deal and i'm like what what is going on i don't know i didn't i i thought it was too fast too weird and too like to be honest i think this realistically I like it better yeah. than twelve, but I think it's the worst setup. The nah, least man. I think it's, setup. It's, it's pacey. It's quirky. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't think um, a plot that's purely driven by revenge is very good, which is what this one is. Um, the the oh, coming from Mister Last of Us Two fan. Last of Us Two has got heaps of other things um, 
rounding out the revenge <laughs> at the center of it. Revenge can be at the center of the story. Ocean's Eleven has revenge at the center of the story, but it's made up of like, you know, it's buried beneath um we're just trying to get rich. And in fact the the creamy um <laughs> the cream filled revenge center <laughs> of of Ocean's Eleven is what makes that film so good is that it becomes personal and it's a little bit um it's a little bit sexy, you know, it's a little bit romantic. It's like, oh, it's emotional now. It's not just dudes stealing money. It's got some, it's got like human error can now be factored into the decisions of the characters. Um, whereas I think maybe, I also, I, I was like, would he really have a heart attack from being betrayed? He also nearly, nearly got killed by um, Terence Benedict in the previous movie. He is old, but he's not even the oldest member of the original 11. <laughs> like, that's yeah, another thing. He's not thing. screwed over. Surely Carl Reiner's character should have been the old, the, the one who has the heart attack. I don't know. Oh. I found it messy. I thought it was messy. Um, I think it's clean. There's a there's a subplot where Matt Damon's character uh, dons a disguise to seduce, well not to seduce, but happens to seduce one of the um, uh, like Al Pacino's uh, assistant, um, yeah. and he's wearing this fake nose, and it's the most ridiculous looking thing. And I was like, <laughs> oh god, it looks so silly. Um, I I did like um, who's the actor who plays his dad? Um, Bob Einstein. Bob Einstein. What a what a treasure Bob Einstein is, man. Love seeing Bob Einstein th- Einstein and things. Um, yeah, he he he's um <laughs> he he died a couple of years ago. Yeah, he passed away. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's um he's Albert Brooks's brother. Do you know that? I did not know that. That's awesome. That's yeah. Cool. Albert Brooks's birth name is actually Albert Einstein. No shit. Yeah. I I went to high school with a Neil Armstrong, and I told everyone that fact. Whenever I'd we'd, we'd meet new people, so I went actually went to primary school with him, and we went we grew up through primary school, intermediate, and high school. His name was Neil Armstrong, and he was very he was he, was, he kind of looked like a young Jim Carrey, like a child Jim Carrey, and um, was a bit of a was a bit of a rascal. And I remember walking home with him once from primary school, and I was like, "Why'd your parents call you Neil Armstrong?" And he's like, "I didn't even realize till like a week later." I feel like. I feel like I've heard this story, but not from you. I, I like. I feel like I've heard it mm. from someone else. Hey, he was a big player in Christchurch. You probably, you probably ran into a mutual friend. Yeah, him. he probably told me himself. <laughs> Shout out to Neil if you're listening, which you're not. <laughs> Although I did just say someone's full name on a podcast, and I can't exactly censor it because the whole point is that it's a a, a um, famous name. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so Ocean's 13, two thumbs up. So, out of um, five. Ocean's. <laughs> sorry? <laughs> two thumbs up out of five. I have five <laughs> thumbs. Okay, so 11 years and zero days after um, Ocean's 13 came out, mm. Ocean's 8 came out. Yeah. Um, on In 2018. Uh, directed by Gary Ross. What's this one about? Um, so this is set sometime later. It's essentially an all-female reboot, um, and with Sandra Bullock playing Debbie Ocean, who is Danny's uh, previously until until now unmentioned sister, who is mm-hmm. also in the heist business. Danny Ocean is fucking 
dead, bro. He's gone. He <sighs> died somehow. Um, and Debbie Ocean gets out of prison. It's essentially the same setup as Ocean's Eleven, um, but instead of money, uh, because this is a girl film, um, they steal <laughs> jewellery from a Met Gala. And so she puts together a crew that's made up as essentially of all the... Um, actors from the first film's female equivalents like like yeah. the female equivalent of um matt of of being at, of sorry brad pitt is kate blanchett i'm comfortable yeah. with that that feels right um yeah and maybe maybe not exactly one for one their female counterpart but like the characters are certainly the, well yeah it's, it's you've got like um yeah you have a hacker you have a pickpocket like things like that um but yeah so rounding out the cast yeah you've got you've got sandra bullock and kate blanchett as the kind of duo um then you've got uh sarah paulson mm-hmm. uh, mindy kaling aquafina rihanna helena bottom carter uh and that's only seven um however the person that they are stealing the diamond necklace from at the Met Gala is Anne Hathaway, who's then, oh, in a shocking twist, revealed to be part of it, bringing the total up to eight. Do you and reckon? So it's like, well, obviously this was going to fucking happen. But then they also get help from the amazing Yen. Yeah, yeah. Which means that there's nine. Yeah, and um, Ruben, Elliot Gold, shows up, meaning that yeah. Ruben lived longer than danny ocean <laughs> um my my biggest problem with this movie is that danny ocean's dead by the way i'll get that out of the way yeah I, I um uh it's this is one of those things where um yeah we talked about um uh before that it's like this isn't just i i don't like what you've done this is a narrative mistake it's a narrative mistake because um it's just it's too sad that and the movie doesn't dwell on the sadness of it at all yeah like the movie is set up for george clooney to appear in the final scene it is insane that he doesn't spoilers to the going to the end of the movie um it goes through (laughs) all of the eight and like what are they doing now and sandra bullock's the last one and she makes a like a vodka martini at the gravestone of um danny ocean and she goes you would have loved it and yeah. the Wikipedia summary says um, she makes a vodka martini with next to Danny's grave and takes and is content in the f- in knowing that he would have he would be proud of her. And it's yeah, like, like, oh yeah, I would really love to see this um, apparently sentimental brother and sister relationship that this is yeah. the first I've heard of. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. show me, show me them being brother and sister for God's sake. It, it, it needed because you see a photo of Danny Ocean, and it's like. Yeah, like you say, it is just too sad that it's like that he's not in it. Um, any give me any other reason, or like all it needed is when she says you would have loved it, just have like footsteps approach behind her. I don't even need to see a shadow. I just need to hear footsteps. Am I, you know? Yeah. Like, am I misremembering? Or earlier in the film, does someone say, "Are you sure he's dead?" And she goes, "No." Yeah. No. It, it's it, um. Uh, according to like IMDb, it's like it's a running joke throughout the film whether or not he faked his death. Um, and right, um, uh, Elliot Gould does refer to like he did something or said something, and it's like why would he be talking about Rusty in this situation? You know, um, right? Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's sort of like um, it's 
it's one of those things where like they're trying to give themselves wiggle room for oceans nine and ten to be like hmm. yeah he was we we're always planning that he would be alive um so anyway the after they steal the necklace which is um a pretty in, relatively entertaining heist sequence i thought yeah. um the last half hour of the movie is like oh my god we've only fi- we've we've only filled up an hour and 10 minutes <laughs> what are we gonna <laughs> do and so they introduce james corden as a insurance broker investigator. investigator um and looking for this necklace because it's like this million dollar necklace it's 150 million yeah, yeah. it's the same stakes as the first right, film okay. essentially that's fine that's that's cool. And I, I do like you, you kind of like, oh, it's a girl. Like, I like that it's like, for lack of a better word, a, a, like a girly heist. That it's like, we're agree. hitting the Met Gala and stealing a necklace, but it's still like the stakes are still just as high. There's also a really good um, line before they do the, do the, where they're putting together the team and they don't want to get a guy in. And um, Debbie Ocean says, she's like, because hims get noticed, hers get ignored. Um, which for the first time is something we want, and I was like, yeah. "Cool, that's cool." Like that is it's it's it's, it's a it's a like a narrative reason yeah. why the team needs to be all girls, and then they get a guy in anyway. Yeah, yeah, which is weird. Um, anyway, <laughs> James Corden turns up, uh, seemingly investigating it, but then also um through the the two points I'm going to knock this down to on from a ten out of ten understood it to a eight out of ten understood it <laughs> is like he seems to he's introduced half an hour before the film ends. Within 10 minutes, he's met with Debbie Ocean and is like, I'm actually on your side. Just give me something to give my bosses. Yeah. And I was like, what? Why? Why? Surely you turn this into a catch me if you can kind of situation. Well, yeah, I, I think it is a bit of a catch. It's, it's a we're not so different, you and I situation. Would you agree it's um, not very well pulled off, though? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, because it's James Corden. But it's also um, squeezed into... <laughs> It, it yeah. maybe needed more time or or at the very least my god that character should have been introduced earlier yeah well it should have been like even even if we pull this off we're going to have to deal with this yeah, yeah. afterwards and then it happens um the highlight of so this film like, yeah um is anne hathaway's really funny in it i think yeah anne hathaway i remember because because I, I i saw you and i both saw this in the cinema didn't we um yeah i think the power was out and i went to go i was like i went by myself to the movies um and i remember all the reviews saying like anne hathaway is the heart of this film um we did focus a lot just then on um danny ocean's absence in the film and before we get on to talking about the women i do want to just like focus on the other one little like man thing in the film Mm -hmm. um uh, matt damon and carl reiner both filmed cameos um no shit but um carl reiner's was left on the cutting room floor um because they were like oh we need to um like the the you know it was like it was like a story reason kind of thing but um matt damon did you know matt damon was cancelled and there was a petition to remove his cameo from the film after the me too movement he was cancelled yeah what did he do um sexual uh harassment isn't a joke remove matt damon from oceans eight we won with twenty eight thousand seven hundred and forty eight supporters um because he um he made a couple of like uh i remember him saying this at the time that it was like we need to focus on the men that aren't you know sexually harassing people um and that i think he said something about that he would uh like because like will you not work with anyone who's been accused of sexual assault and he said that it would be a case-by-case basis kind of thing um okay and so yeah he filmed a cameo for this but was removed this is one of those situations where like my gut reaction is like 
I kind of understand where he's coming from, but then the other part of me goes, I'm nowhere near the victim of this situation. Yeah. So what is my opinion? On well, it's, it's one of those, like, I understand where you're coming from, but just like, think about what you're yeah. saying and yeah. when you're saying it. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, sounds like it's all blown over so he can be in the next one. Maybe. <laughs> um, the, the woman in this film. Yeah. Anne Hathaway is, fantastic and so she's playing um like you know a a kind of self-obsessed celebrity um and almost like a loved hate kind of thing and like because people have this this weird weird hatred for Anne Hathaway so it's like it's it's good casting that she can kind of like live it up and be glamorous but you're also kind of like oh you're such a diva you know Mm. um I I love Anne Hathaway I I fucking I I love all the actresses in this film Mm. um it's like it's a it's a fantastic cast. Uh, I would say is maybe a little bit wasted in some parts. Um, I remember when it was first announced, and it was like starring like oh my gosh, like Kate Blanchett, um, Sandra Bullock, and there was like Aquafina. I was like, who the fuck is this like Aquafina? Like <laughs> thinking that she's like can play play ball with the big dogs, and now she's like one of my favorite actresses, and is one of those wow. kind of I'm excited for any projects that she signs on to. Mm. Um, and I, do, I don't think I liked her when I watched her the first time, but now that I like Aquafina, I was like, yeah, she's the best part of the film. I, yeah, um, I think, um, yeah. So it's funny to have a movie that has Kate Blanchett, Sandra Bullock, Helena Bonham Carter, and um, Sarah Paulson all in it, because I feel like those that <laughs> those are the actresses that feel like they all compete for the same role in a movie and you read an imdb yeah. trivia that's like while sandra bullock got the role the these three others were that's, a, that's a good point because they're probably actresses that like respect each other a lot but don't really get to work together much yeah yeah <laughs> um and so like i, I can imagine and, and that's the thing about these films is that like there's just this sense of fun and, and all of them and it's like and especially oceans 11 the the remake the 2001 it's like god this must have been so much fun to make mm. and like because it's such an insane cast of like all these a-listers that to get them back together for like these th- for two sequels is like yeah they they must have all really loved making it yeah um and I actually, um, I, I think Ocean's Eight, like, is maybe I wish they'd just let them like. Um, Anne Hathaway is clearly having so much fun, mm. um, but when you've got Kate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock trying to be the kind of like suave, we don't really care, we're not emotionally invested, um, just wisecracking, which is like George Clooney and Brad Pitt have built their careers around that, but it's like I know you're just trying to do that, but it's like just let them be them, you know? Yeah. I will say this is probably my second favorite one in the franchise. I think that I it's it's the the third, twelve and thirteen feel too weighed down, whereas this has the freedom of being its own thing a lot more. Yeah. Um, I think the last half an hour is pretty woeful with um, yeah. both both with James Corden coming into it and the way the um Anne Hathaway joins the team is handled. I think is kind of yeah. weird and confusing. Like there's no, the, the, again, this is one of those things which you might come out and say is actually good filmmaking. I feel like there needs to be a scene where we need to see the scene where she confronts Sandra Bullock and goes, I know what you're doing. Like the first right. we see that she's joined the team is her walking into the base and being like, I want to cut of the, the money or whatever. And it's like, okay, this the i feel i get i this can still be a twist but i feel like it would be more powerful if we saw it as sort of like a caught you out kind of situation uh yeah yeah i, I get what you mean okay good 
Um, but I disagree. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it could have been dumped through flashbacks or whatever, but um, the... Uh, what one thing I did want to one thing I do want to that I noticed about this film because I think this was something that while watching it in the cinema I was like ah oh, something just doesn't quite click with this film that did for Ocean's Eleven with me, um, and watching it this time I think I realized what, what there was so we're introduced to Sandra Bullock coming out of prison and then she uh, goes to a some kind of shopping place <laughs> a store. Um, and says, pick some stuff off the shelf, and says, "I want to return these." And they go, "Well, you can't if you don't receive." And she goes, "Ah, oh, fine. I'll just, I'll just keep them." And you know, pulling a little con, and then yeah. she um, cons her way into a hotel room. She's got all these bags of things that she presumably conned, and it's almost like a, a killing the cat opening. Um, ah, because right. yeah, yeah. when when Danny Ocean, we're introduced to him, and it's like he just got out of prison, and it's like I want to pull this big heist because I've got something to prove. Um, and you and you, he's like an underdog. You get on his side. Whereas like meeting Debbie Ocean, we're just like, well, you're kind of just like you. You don't need any of this stuff. Mm. And and I don't and I I don't know you. And so it's like the the first job that Danny pulls is like you can get behind why he wants to do this why he wants to do it to this person whereas like with Debbie it's like it feels like they're like we need to show that you're a crook and so there's no sense of like justice to it I guess there's the same complaint as the original from that critic um the mm. yeah there's what like what is Debbie Ocean's character arc like granted, what yeah. is anyone's character arc? What's Danny Ocean's character arc? But at least there's emotion in his story. There's emotion in his ocean. <laughs> nice. Um, whereas, yeah, I can I can understand that. Um, I think that that the yeah they they sort of have flat arcs, and and at least Ocean's Eleven they have flat arcs where it's more about the characters mm. around them changing based on the the main characters' um actions, whereas. Ocean's yeah. Eight maybe doesn't even have that. Yeah, it's like, I, I, and like after all this, it's like this is a good movie, but I wish it was great. Hmm. Like I, I would, I would love to love this movie as much as I did with Eleven. Um, there was kind of some backlash to this film, um, or or like from the actresses in the film, um, when it came out and got kind of a lukewarm response, and there was a lot of like, yeah, it's because all the critics are male. There's no diversity among, and it's like white men don't enjoy the film, and they're the only ones reviewing it. Um, but like the the kind of it's it's like it's still seventy percent, or, or, or it's actually sixty nine percent on um on Rotten Tomatoes. It's like the general consensus is like this is pretty good, mm. you know. Um, and so I think to come out and be like, yeah, it's because of sexism. Is like maybe a little bit well, like it's, there's it's, ob- obviously obviously that's going to be a thing. You look at the Ghostbusters reboot, yeah. but I think it's like your your reception was I think is as deserving as the film is. Like yeah. it, it is a flawed film. It's more good than bad. Um, I think, but it's I think not it's not perfect. The problem is is that a hundred percent of the time sexist reviewers are part of the equation, yeah. but not a hundred percent of the time is the film actually still a good film. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think like sixty nine percent of Rotten Tomatoes, I think, is nice. pretty fair for this film. Sixty nine. Um, we got them. That's the six number. The six number. Um, we got them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. Yeah, it's it's an interesting film. It, it's yeah, of the all female reboots we've seen, this is probably the best one. 
How many even are there, though? Uh, well, they talk about them all the time. Yeah, right. That's I thought. I thought about this recently. It's like there's Ghostbusters, Ocean's Eight, and American Pie Girls Rules. <laughs> <laughs> like what other? Uh, it's it's such a ubiquitous term, the all female reboot. But I can't think of it. Yeah, there, there's so many. Um, it's more like there's the, so many planned. It's more like well. yeah, the, the concept was introduced with. Um, Ghostbusters, which failed so spectacularly that they're like, well, Ocean's 8's already in development, but maybe let's put, pump the brakes on anything else. Yeah, or what men want. Ah, there you go. Yes, just as much of a splash in the pond as Ocean's 8 and uh, Ghostbusters. No, like Ocean's 8, um, uh, like when all's said and done, I would, um, Ocean's 9, I'll be there day one. Day one? Know? Yeah. Do you reckon? Well, you know, if, if, if I... um. If I'm not working. Do, do you reckon we'll get an Ocean's 9? Because it's conveniently set up to do a trilogy of 8, 9, 10 before exactly. encroaching on 11. Which, which uh, to me is like the, I, I I think is like the biggest flaw of the film is that it's like, it's almost arrogant to start at 8. <laughs> you know? Um, apparently, what, like Mindy Kaling discussed uh, in like a book, she mentioned, she wrote a book in like 2011 and mentions in it, um, that she wants to do an all-female reboot called Oceans Five, um, and it's like, and so you know, it's cool that she's that she's in that she's in Oceans Eight, um, and I think I think that the cast is like a good balance of like you know, Oscar actors and then mm, TV true. actors, and um, maybe they'll go backwards. Maybe we can go Oceans Seven. Seven. Although, why yeah. would you go? That feels anticlimactic. Yeah. Just another one dies unceremoniously. <laughs> um but yeah what like what it should be is oceans eight nine ten and nine is um you know they they just um uh well because you've got in this film you've got the eight including anne hathaway but then nine is um the amazing yen who comes back from the original trilogy um but then also nine ball rihanna's character's little sister it, like essentially saves the whole heist mm. so there's kind of 10 people um so i mean yeah maybe, maybe nine balls little sister just becomes a main character i would be so careful with this if i was screenwriting these movies i would be like in no way can more than the number of the people in the title can contribute a significant role to the heist <laughs> yeah um or it, it, at, at the very least it's it's which way the split goes how much is the split of, yeah. of the of the of what you steal um well, well, the, the, yeah, there needs to be a scene where there just needs to be a scene where there's a shot that has all of them. The original Ocean's Eleven has it. This, the remake has it. I think tw- oh, 12, no, twelve and thirteen don't have it, but eight has it. But it's after they've done the heist yeah, yeah. when they can introduce Anne Hathaway into it. But um, yeah, what I would do is t- uh, you do nine, you bring in Nine Ball's little sister, and then at the end, oh my god, Danny's still alive, and then he's the tenth. Yeah. So and it's Ocean's with an apostrophe after the S. Ocean's 10. Talking of titles, which we do a lot on this podcast, I did think another, an alternate idea that I had when they said in Ocean's 12 that they had 13 days to get the money or whatever. I was like, Mm. why don't you make it 12 days? And then I was like, Ocean's 12 should refer to the amount of days they have. Right, interesting. And maybe Ocean's 13, they're trying to get $13 million or so, you know what I mean? Like it, mm. that that's kind of interesting to me to make the number refer to something else oh, yeah, in each yeah. movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. Um it's one thing about this frame, I didn't 
fully fact check this it was just something i I noticed while watching that surely i think second to the mcu probably this might be our most oscar winners Um, really because it's got we've got george clooney not lord of the rings just from lord of the rings itself uh, well, I mean, I'll be actors specifically. Right, okay. um, you got George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Sandra Bullock, Matt Damon, Kate Blanchett, Albert Finney, uh, who plays Lamarck in, a, in an uncredited cameo. Uh, Common is seen. He he won an Oscar for a song, mm-hmm. um, and he's seen at the Met Gala. Yeah. Uh, so is Julianne Moore. Uh, Frank Sinatra won an Oscar from for um from here to eternity. Um, Shirley MacLaine has a cameo in the original. Uh, Casey Affleck, Al Pacino, Julia Roberts, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, and then you've got a bunch of nominees as well. Um, Don Cheadle, uh, Andy Garcia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Elliot Gould. So good. What's Elliot Gould's yeah, and so it's, like, Yeah, there's a lot of like great, 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 great cast in these films. And you can see why it's like you, these are the kind of films that you'd that you'd that you would sign on even if you don't really need to. Apparently the, the uh, 2001 film every every person in the film worked for less than their normal rate to to keep the budget down i think 2001 was maybe the height of ensemble as a yeah. as a selling point for a movie so that might make some sense they were wanting to get in on the craze yeah um all right so now we're on to continue the franchise mm. Um, unfortunately I couldn't find any actual like concrete information about an Oceans 9 um, which is weird like other than people saying oh I'd like to do an Oceans 9 um, like me and Mindy Kaling Kate Blanchett a few of them have been asked about and said they would like to but yeah I think now that we're past the age of ensemble it's going to be a lot harder to sync up everyone's schedules mm. yeah and yeah I, I imagine I would hope we would see them one day Oh, it's just annoying if we don't because they've said it Yeah, up. that's the thing, yeah. But then oh, you will have the issue that people will think you start at Ocean's 8. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, true. Yeah, so uh, what's your continued franchise? All right, my continued franchise um, is set in a universe, as in the film comes out. Well, it's not actually a film, but the piece of media comes out in a universe where um, Ocean's 11, the 2001 film, was as impactful to cinema as Star Wars, right? Pretend there wasn't Star Wars. There wasn't a film anywhere close to what Ocean's 11 was (laughs) when it came (laughs) out, right? So all of a sudden, Ocean's 11 is the franchised film. Ocean's 11 is the thing that has, you know, shampoo bottles are made. Right, you know that yeah. sort of thing um the same the same thing as star wars basically you get your action figures and all that so my um continue the franchise is an animated um similar to the lego star wars holiday special trailer that came out today um yeah. well the trailer came out today the movie's coming out later this year um fuck it it can even be lego um lego oceans <laughs> 11 and it's called uh oceans abcs <laughs> right. and the plot is um and it's animated in whatever form um and it's m- intended for children the plot is that danny ocean pisses off tess in some way and so to make it up for her he to her he decides to um pull off 26 heists where he'll steal <laughs> one precious object for each letter of the alphabet <laughs> nice that's it. Oceans, ABCs. I don't know what the objects are. <laughs> Sound off in the comments what they could be. <laughs> um, I um, have a somewhat similar idea. Not really, but um, it is juvenile. <laughs> um, so um, 
in the title, it's ocean apostrophe s, meaning that it's possessive, that the, the eleven belong to ocean. Um, but it can also be a contraction. Uh, and I thought, say, you're making oceans nine. It's not about a nine that belonged to ocean. It's about ocean is nine, and it's a nine-year-old <laughs> heist. <laughs> I love it. Uh, how old's Ocean? Oh, Ocean's nine. <laughs> let's just make a let's make a um scene for scene remake of Ocean's Eleven, but all the cast are eleven. Ocean <laughs> yeah. is eleven. Yeah. Um speaking of titles though, I did want to mention this. Another segment we we sometimes do on this podcast called uh we talk about taglines now. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I the taglines for these films are interesting. I'll go through them. So um, oh, I didn't actually look up what one was for the original. Should we uh, look that up? I'm sure it's just like Sinatra and all the, all the guys you love are in a movie the together. Lids, the lids, the lids. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> nobody else would have dared it because nobody else would have had the nerve. Just Danny Ocean and his eleven pals. The crazy night they blew all the lights in Las Vegas. There's also, you wouldn't call it a gang, just Danny Ocean as 11 pounds the night they blew all the lights in Las Vegas. One, that big one, and another one, in any other town, there'd be the bad guys. That's good. So, uh, Ocean's 11, uh, 2001 had, they're having so much fun, it's illegal. That's pretty good. That's all right. Um, Ocean's 12, um, this one would probably work better for Ocean's 3. Um, oh, Ocean's 13. Um, but you cross one ocean, you face them all. Okay. Yep. I like that. I like the wordplay. Um, Ocean's 13. Is that 13. not better for Ocean's 12 because they go to No, yeah, it is, yeah, because it actually crosses the ocean, not, not Ruben. What are the odds of getting even? 13 to 1. I like, what are the odds of getting even by itself? That's a great tagline. However... It is not However. the best tagline in the series. Um, Ocean's 8 has two taglines, probably my two favorite taglines in all of cinema. <laughs> um, uh, one is every con has its pros. It's good. And the other one is they've got what it takes to take what you've got. The first one's better. The first one is better. Like, it's it's so simple. And, oh, God, I, I like, because when, when the poster first came out, it had that at the top of it, I was like, fuck, that's good. And then the second one came out, and it had that, that one. I was like... Fuck, it's still pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, every con has its pros. Oh, nice. what a fucking good tagline. Uh, all right, now it's time to rank the franchise. This very contentious uh, I um, think I've found segment. a sweet spot for both of us. I'm looking at it right now. All right, okay. Um, so this is the 118th franchise we've, we've covered. So we're going to rank it with the other franchises we've watched. This is on Letterboxd. If you go to letterboxd.com slash and look at our lists, you'll find one called Franking, um, which is our film franchise Fortnite's ranking where we rank every franchise. Um, okay. From, what is it, 118, did you say? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because we, we have on this this uh, ranking list the Nymphomaniac Constant, mm. which is uh, it was a two-film franchise, uh, half of which is really good, half of which is really bad, and they cancel each other out. So we use that as the as the mark for what's good and what's bad. Um, I When I first saw Ocean's 8, I described it as if you were to rank every movie ever made in terms of quality, Ocean's 8 would be in the middle. Um <laughs> I probably like it more than that. Like, thinking of there's probably way more bad movies than good. Um, if you were to, yeah, like it's. It's also probably relevant to say that 
um because the first one because this is actually our second franchise that we've done where uh the first one has no sequels and the franchise comes from the remake after um seven yeah. the magnificent seven being a remake of the seven samurai which means that that on our list oceans 11 from 2001 will be the film to represent the franchise and not the 1961 oh is it okay so well that's how we did it with uh magnificent seven Okay, okay. I will. Uh, Which because because we're that. we're talking about a franchise. Uh, I mean, we do have Seven Samurai on the list. Do, is it Seven Samurai? Do you want me to change it? What do you think? I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a stuck. Um, well, because <laughs> I'm just thinking we don't like for like that single Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that was in a new canon. We didn't even list that because it's okay. I'll I'll replace number seventy nine is the magnificent. Because Seven. we should be ranking the franchise and not the film that that it, the franchise is a remake of, um, in my yeah. opinion. Um, okay. Okay, I've, I've got a place where I think it should go. Okay. Oceans 11. Cool. Uh, right. Where are you thinking? I'm thinking it goes at, uh, it'll be number 32 between Fright Night and Final Destination. So better than Final Destination, not quite as punchy as Fright Night. All right. So we're just talking about Oceans 11, 12, 13, and 8, are we? I guess so. I guess that okay. makes sense with what I just said. In that case, I would put it quite a bit higher. You reckon it's... I I, th- I would have thought Happy Death Day would be a um, mark in the sand for you regarding this. Um, No, I, I like... I, Oceans 11, 2001 is like i fucking love it so much <laughs> yeah but we're doing the fucking we're doing the franchises so it's... yeah but like like talking about like happy death day is like two films that i'm like i i the first one it's like i really enjoy this second one is i quite enjoy this first one i like more than both of those and the two sequels i really like and the spin-off i quite like you know so it's like mm. all right so about so happy death day was above fright night above Happy Death Day is Lilo and Stitch, and above that is the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, and above that is The Raid, and above that is Lethal Weapon. Are we in this area? Uh, I mean, I would be willing to go higher. Um, I'm probably not willing we to got, go much higher. <laughs> we got Ghostbusters at 21. Um, oh, yeah. Well, let's put it at 20. Let's put it above. No, I don't think it's better than Ghostbusters, though. By and large, I would say I enjoy Ghostbusters a lot more than Ocean's Eleven as a franchise. Yeah, I mean we've got you've got like a great um a great first film, a sequel which one of us likes <laughs> um more than the general public, and then an all female reboot. And Ocean's Eleven has another sequel as well. Okay, so in terms of like how rotten is it by the time you're done, I think yeah. it's about the same as Ghostbusters. Yeah, I could. Like, because you look at next to Ghostbusters, we've got Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. Very suitably put all in, in the trilogy there. But yeah, yeah. by the end of those three, you're done. By the end of the Oceans franchise and by the end of Ghostbusters, I think you're fine. And I think Ghostbusters has higher heights than Oceans. Yeah, but I think if if i if either of them are to keep going i would prefer oceans i think at this point although ghostbusters is like doing a don't worry white men we're, <laughs> we're back <laughs> um i i would put this 
behind Ghostbusters. All right. Okay. At twenty-two. All right, and then maybe we can we can relook at Ghostbusters when um Afterlife comes out. Sounds good. All righty. All righty. Um. All right, now what we have to do is pick our next franchise. I think it's my turn to make you guess. All right. But I could be wrong. I'm not trying to take it from you. I'm saying... No, no. <laughs> um, so this is where every second franchise we do um, is chosen from a list and uh, where each, every franchise we could think of has got a... a arbitrary number assigned to it richard has got a um arbitrary number generator um (laughs) and that's going to give us a number which will give us our next franchise for the next fortnight of which richard the first film will be the 500th film we have watched for film franchise fortnights arguably we arguably which we thought (laughs) um could be a significant thing and then we thought, I can't be bothered thinking of a film that that deserves the title, so let's just roll yeah. it at random. Well, yeah, because if it can't be Oceans now, then it's like, oh, okay, well, it may as well be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because if you look back at, um, okay, let's look at to to go back and you know create some um, some tension. Our one hundredth film was uh, Insurgent, <laughs> the sequel to Divergent. <laughs> Our 200th film was The Hangover. Well, that was the start of a new year. That's cool. Um, the 300th film is 300 Rise of an Empire, <laughs> which was awesome. not planned. That was just a very fun um, thing. Um, the 400th was Texas Chainsaw 3D. Um, and the 500th, well, we'll find out right now. Is 500 um, not a more significant milestone to denote, though? <laughs> Like you're saying, uh, no, we'll, like we we'll don't talk, need to worry talk about. Talk to me it. when we hit a thousand, AJ. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, because who knows? Maybe this this franchise will be um, worthwhile anyway. So let's yeah, let's true. have a look. All right. All right. Here we go. Ten. Franchise number ten. Um, <laughs> I know nothing about this franchise. <laughs> I can't believe we hit ten. Um, it's very rare we hit like anywhere within the first. Well, the first 10, you know, we did um, yeah. our movie club on Patreon where we do a similar role. And the first number we got was two um, last <laughs> month. So that's fun. Okay. The the 10th franchise on our list, Richard, is a trilogy. Um, okay. And the, the reason that we will know this exists is because there's another trilogy that we are a lot more personally fond of that kind of parodies the naming convention of the of franchise number 10. Is it uh, Naked Gun? It is not. Huh. It is... Uh, each, each film in the series um, has a different... Uh, thing associated with it <laughs> if i was to say what that thing that abstract concept <laughs> was it would just give away what it is <laughs> um so it has a naming convention that's somewhat unique um yeah yeah so it's like the i think each film is called the name of the franchise then another word which is about that that th- it's like uh, what, what what era are we talking um let me look this up (laughs) i actually don't know how crazy is that um we are talking 
1993. Oh, what the born. Oh, so it's. 1993, and then two films in 1994. Are they animated? No, but they are French. Oh, is it um, the Three Colors trilogy? It's the Three Colors trilogy. Do you, Weird. Do you know anything about the Three Colors trilogy? Uh, a little bit. So I was trying to make you guess the Blood and Ice Cream or the Cornetto trilogy. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is, um, a pair, which is actually franchise number six on this list. Um. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. I'm, that feels very art house for our five hundred yeah. five hundredth film. So our five hundredth film. For this film is this is because um, because we get a lot of people um, getting angry at us when films um, aren't a like actually you know tangible franchise, mm. um, and these are like anthology films. I think right. I don't know. And they, they each, it's similar to the Red Curtain trilogy where, you know, the, the, while they are called three colors, blue, white, and red, they are like connected by theme. Mm, I love it. I'm so ready for this. I'm so ready for an anthology franchise again. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Well, that, well, this is very interesting. R- red was received nominations, the, th- the third in the trilogy. So, that's pre- I, know, I know nothing. I know nothing about these films. I know Julie Delpy from um, uh, the Before trilogy is ah, in one of them. There you go. Um, cool. So let's get Richard next fortnight. Let's get some fucking cigarettes on those long sticks that the French people smoke. Um, let's get, <laughs> let's get some some brandy and some soft cheese, and let's wear berets and let's have a a, a a intellectual discussion about film yeah that's my image of these films in my we mind. should we um should we do them in french the the podcast absolutely um cool okay so stay tuned for that everybody um as well as the post credit scene after this episode finishes talking um and uh you can also if you liked this podcast you can find us on facebook instagram youtube twitter um you can also donate to our patreon patreon.com slash and you can join our discord which you'll find a link to in the show notes please join our discord everyone over there is very nice and very friendly um and yeah we will catch you on the flippity flop for the whatever we're doing next week and also for the three colors trilogy the week after cool yeah that's uh, that's the whole podcast <laughs> bye <laughs> <laughs>
Um, and my answer for this, as evidence of how guilty of a pleasure it is, uh, could not technically be called film or TV. Um, because Richard, I don't know if you know this about me, but one of my guilty pleasures is watching um, top five ghosts caught on camera YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot get enough of the stuff. You watch um, 10 top five ghosts caught on camera videos on youtube that's 50 ghosts you've seen caught on camera. <laughs> well you won't you'll out of out of 50 videos they'll show you one of them will be like oh cool <laughs> and the rest will be ridiculous i have seen there's a channel that me and my buddy matt um whenever we hang out we watch um called nukes top five um and some occasionally you get a, a genuinely spooky thing on there but you get some of the funniest shit on there man it's so funny two of the two of two highlights from nukes top five ghost caught on camera videos one is um there's a video called like the goblin of of Greenwich or something like that and it's a family like a little girl being filmed in the kitchen and then in the background you see a little goblin run past the kitchen <laughs> and it's <laughs> so funny and it's so clearly like like graphics to rival that of the dancing baby from Ally McBeal like run past <laughs> in the background and we had to rewind it and watch it over and over again because the presenters of these shows can will never say this is clearly fake they just aggregate yeah. right so they go you know real <laughs> or a hoax you decide when it's like <laughs> painfully obvious that it's a hoax <laughs> um, and another really funny one i saw is something that i would that i thought was so good i was like i have to put this in a movie one day when i am a big famous director which is called the, it was called like the snapchat ghost where this lady was filming um an empty hallway in front of her and she's terrified because the dog filter keeps popping up in the middle of nothing um oh, yeah, indicating yeah. it's like detecting a face so not only is this like a hilarious way to hunt a ghost but it also um like changes your voice makes your voice more high-pitched so she's freaking out and like helium speak and then she's like oh my god no, it's so scary and she like backs into a, an elevator and the doors close and then all of a sudden the dog filter pops up again right in front of her <laughs> it's so funny man it's so funny it's good comedy it's good comedy um so that is my guiltiest pleasure what is yours um the julia roberts scene in ocean 12 <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.